0: You're listening to a message from Victory Christian Center in Farmer City, Illinois. For more information on Victory, please contact us at bccfarmacity.org. Praise God. Well, good morning. Welcome to church this morning. We're going to continue in the series that we've been doing. We've been talking about being led by the Holy Spirit, being led by the Spirit of God. And we spent the last couple Sundays, we really got down to the everyday, can I say the brass tacks? I think that's the right phrase. We really got down to the nuts and bolts of of how do we follow Him? On a daily basis, on an everyday basis. And we talked about the inward witness. The number one way, the most common way he leads us every day is by the inward witness. And we've looked at that. And then we looked at the second most common way he will lead us, which is, I call the inward voice. Um, In some Old Testament scriptures, you'll see the phrase, still small voice. In many New Testament uh, passages, you will see the, I don't know if it says the voice of conscience, but you'll see the word conscience all through the New Testament. Paul used it all over the place. Your conscience has a voice. Your inner man has a voice. And your heart will talk to you. And we need to recognize when our heart's talking to us. And listen ...to what our heart's saying. And that's different than the voice of your head. Your head has a voice too. Your flesh has a voice, if you haven't noticed. But uh, we're learning to recognize our conscience and being led by our conscience. Now this morning, I'm kind of taking a step back a little bit. We're still in the same topic. But I want to take kind of a bird's eye view and look at some things this morning. I want to start in 1 John chapter 2. Um, 1 John chapter 2, verse 24... The Apostle John says this, he says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. Now that word abide, that's the exact same Greek word that The same author used in the Gospel of John chapter 15. Um, Familiar passage when Jesus talked about abiding in the vine, where he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and I in you. Same word and same idea going on here. That word abide means remain. Tarry means not to depart. To continue to be present, to be held, to be kept continually. That's Abiding. You're keeping it. You're not letting it depart. And here he's saying, remain with what you heard from the beginning. Do not depart from what you heard from the beginning. Now what I want to do is take that concept in that verse and I want to lay it over the top of what we've been talking about, being led by the Spirit. All right? Big picture. God has a plan for your life. He's already had a plan since before you were born. Um, There's a verse in the Psalms that talks about a book written about you. He already had a plan for you before you were even born, before you were created, before your origin. He already had ideas. Now, in this life... If we're following Him, He's going to lead us right into that plan. He has good things planned. Everything that He wants you to do for Him, He's already made provision for. He knew what the plan was. And He's already on top of things like that. He knows the best route for you to take to get there. He knows how to make your path fruitful. How to make your life prosperous. And I'm not just talking about necessarily finance. There's many more ways including but not limited to money. There's many ways to have a prosperous and fruitful life. Um, He knows how to steer you clear of obstacles and hard times and things that He does not intend for you to go through. He knows how to take you around them, really in a way that you didn't even know they were a possibility. You're just following Him and He's just leading you around things like that. He's got all that figured out. Um, A very commonly known verse especially in the world of greeting cards <laughs> um, Jeremiah twenty I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation he says for I know the plans I have for you says the Lord they are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope that's your Heavenly Father he's already got plans alright and the better we are at following him the better everything's going to work out in this life. We're going to do a better job at getting into his course and staying on that narrow path that Jesus called. Not wide one that leads to destruction, but he said narrow. And he did say difficult. We work to stay on that path and to follow and not miss him when he leads. And we've talked about a lot of that. But I do want this morning to acknowledge there's another side to that coin. You see, there is another spiritual force at work in the earth today other than God. You do have an enemy. He also has plans for your life. They might not be as detailed. It's mostly to get you off of God's plan. But he does have plans. And he works to get you to follow his lead rather than God's lead. And then we do know by his nature, Jesus said, he only comes for three reasons, either to steal, kill, or destroy. And so the nature of his plans will produce those three things at various levels in your life. Uh, one example I've thought about, um, the... I wish I could say it's an unusual or rare thing, but it happens all too often. If it happens once, it's too many times. But I'm thinking of driving a car where maybe you are stopped at a red light, um, even more dangerous if it's a high-speed intersection, and you have traffic coming the other way, and then the light turns green. So you begin to pull out into the intersection, and yet a car coming from in the other direction either didn't see the red light, didn't care about the red light or thought they could make it, whatever the situation, and they come at a high speed into the intersection. And you're in a situation where a few seconds quicker on your part and it happens behind you. You delay a few seconds and they'll fly in front of you. Or you get right in the exact moment which just has seconds on either side of it and you're in a collision of varying degrees. And I think about the things that lead up to a situation like that and variables that literally come down to seconds that can play with the outcome. And I would say to you, it's a setup. Now there are many, especially in our culture today, who would look at me and say, Oh, now come on. It's just coincidence. It's just dumb luck. To which I thought, is there such a thing as smart luck? (laughs) Where do we get the phrase dumb luck? I don't know. But anyway, that's what they would say. It's just coincidence. It's just dumb luck. Well, I, I know I've said this before, but I'll remind you. There are a few English words that we have in our language and in our culture. For which there are no Hebrew counterparts. And that is one of them. We have the English word coincidence. The Jews do not. There is no Hebrew word for coincidence. The reason being, they don't believe in it. That is not a concept to a Jewish mind. And I will point this out. It is a a concept in the English mind. But it didn't come from the Bible. There is no Bible verse that talks about coincidence. It's not a biblical concept. And the more I walk with God and the more I study Scripture, the more clear it's becoming to me, it's not there. Um, The truth is, those who believe in coincidence do not have a real strong understanding of biblical spirituality. Because the more I study that, the less I see coincidence in anything. There's far more going on than what we see with our eyes. You have an enemy who is working tirelessly to trip you up, to get you in the wrong place at the wrong time. I like to say that as I follow God, he is helping me be in the right place at the right time knowing the right thing to do and the right thing to say because the Holy Spirit is helping me and I say that on a fairly regular basis but the opposite is true I have an enemy who is working tirelessly to get me in the wrong place at the wrong time not knowing what to do and full of the wrong things to say (laughs) he is working to get me there and he works tirelessly to do so what I want to do now is package that in what we've been talking about. I'm going to follow God's plan for my life by listening to my spirit. Where the Holy Spirit will communicate with me. Now the devil's trying to get me off that course. Where does he communicate with me primarily? Not in my spirit. He will primarily communicate Communicate, or tempt you or pressure you through your flesh where the fallen nature is. That's the dichotomy we see in Romans chapter 7 in Galatians chapter 5 this dichotomy of spirit versus flesh and that's where we struggle and in a scriptural context those are your only two options. Most decisions that you make are one or the other. But what I, I'm not trying to make it big and dramatic. Really, the bigger part of my message this morning is the little things. So what kind of little things in our flesh does the enemy use to get us off course? Things like procrastination. Things like laziness. Anger. Lust, and that's a broad term. That could be lust in all the ways we sometimes want to think about. That could mean, you know, you hear me talk about often lust when it comes to food. <laughs> all right. So it's, it's just desire. Your flesh has desires that we don't always, we would not always, how do I say this? Your flesh has desires that we would often be wise to not fulfill. There we go. How about that? Kind of a foundation under all of it, selfishness. And so many times, it's flesh that we're giving into when we are selfish, when we are lazy, when we procrastinate. And that is flesh pulling us in a direction that is not the leading of God. Um, I want to actually go look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. I, I referenced this just a moment ago. Galatians 5, verse 17 says, For the flesh lusts against the Spirit. You might say pulls against. It's that struggle. The, the flesh lusts against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. I don't want to spend a long time here, but I am going to point out. Um, put that on the screen. I'm, I'm curious. Verse 17... I didn't put it on there? My bad. I'm the one that set that up and apparently I forgot. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. Sorry about that. I will own it. (laughs) But I want to point out, notice what it says. The flesh lusts against the spirit and they capitalize the S. Now, one thing you need to know, um, in the Greek, it's not capitalized. Actually, in the Greek, none of them are ever capitalized. And that's actually something we just started doing a couple hundred years ago, trying to capitalize any reference to deity, and there's actually now a move to get back away from that, because in some cases it creates confusion. I'm not here to get into all that. They're implying by capitalizing the S that that's referring to Holy Spirit. Now, that is the best guess of the translator. Original text did not say that. There are times when the original text wants you to know it's the Holy Spirit, so they put the word holy in there. In Greek, it would be Hagios pneuma. In this verse, it is simply pneuma. And you have to tell by context, now is he talking about the Holy Spirit, or the human spirit? I personally lean toward human spirit. Why? Because if my flesh were in a struggle with the Holy Spirit, I don't think my flesh would win. Now, if my flesh is in a struggle with my human spirit... All right, we might be taking bets. That's more a more realistic situation for the verse. And if you judge that verse by its context, that's what the whole chapter's about. This struggle on the inside of you. And I really don't see the Holy Spirit losing a struggle with my flesh. So it makes more sense to me that he's talking about human spirit in that verse. So I'm going with that. And I want you to understand why I'm doing that. So in this context, he's talking about things that we're pulled to do. How many of you figured out by now there are things your flesh wants to do that you're better off not going there? It doesn't end well. Um, I'm going to jump over the next couple verses simply because it's a list of the works of the flesh and it's the big things. I think adultery is in there. I didn't put it. I know I didn't put that in your I was just going to skip over it. But it's. Big. What I want, what I'm hoping are obvious works of the flesh that all of us would look at and say, yeah, that's bad. Okay. But what I want to look for is the more subtle everyday things. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to jump down to verse, uh, what verse is it? 22, where we start what we know of as the fruit of the spirit. All right. Every one of these has a Counterpart, And that's how I want to look at it this morning. So it starts off, the fruit of the Spirit is love. So we are to walk in love with people. What would be then the counterpart not walking in love with people? Maybe, and this could be any number of situations. Maybe your flesh would rather get mad at them. Maybe your flesh would rather tell them how you really feel. Maybe your flesh would rather give them a piece of your mind and set them straight and maybe knock them down a peg or two or down a rung or two, or whatever phrase you like. You want to put them in their place. Your spirit's saying, walk in love with Him. And your flesh is saying, I don't want to. Are you with me? Now there's an everyday, hopefully not an everyday, but an example that we get into. Why? People around us sometimes do dumb stuff. And we have to manage that. Let's be honest. Um, every once in a while we do the dumb stuff and people have to manage us. Oh not a single amen. I heard some giggles. It's true. We'll get to humility in a minute here. Uh what's number 2 on the list? Joy. There are times when joy is not what your flesh is feeling. And you would rather maybe get depressed. Or maybe you never do this mope around. Maybe decide to throw a party for yourself of the pity nature. A pity party. Woe is me. That is not joy. And your heart is saying, quoting James, "Count it all joy." Your flesh is going. There's nothing joyful about what I'm going through. James didn't say feel joyful. He said count it joy, consider it joy, act joyful even when you're not feeling it. But you're gonna see real quick. All nine of these are that way. You will not be feeling any of these nine. You will not be feeling joy. Number three, peace. When your flesh wants to worry, when you want to fret, when you want to get all worked up and worried about how this is going to play out, this can't be anything good, oh my gosh, this is going to be horrible, and you want to get fretful and worried, and your spirit is saying, be peaceful. Quoting Jesus when He said, "Uh, don't let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. What's that mean? Something in you is going to want to be, and He's saying, don't let it, but choose peace. Peace. What's the next one? Long suffering. We love that one. If I remember right, so many times when it when it's circumstances that are trying you, then we walk in patience. When it's people that are trying you, we walk in long suffering. And your heart is saying, I don't want to no, no, your flesh is saying, I wanna your heart's saying, Be patient. Just endure. Go ahead and suffer. In fact, get comfortable, you might be suffering for a while. It wasn't short suffering, it's long suffering. What's the next one? Kindness. Some of these overlap. Maybe you're wanting to be rude with someone. You're wanting to be right in their face and let them know what they just did affected you. And yet your heart's saying, be kind. Let's go to the next one. Faithfulness. Ever had moments where you just want to turn around and walk away and quit? And your heart's saying, don't do that. You be faithful. Yeah, nobody sees what I do anyway. Nobody cares. And your heart's saying, but it's the right thing to do. God's watching. You be faithful. You keep doing. It. Possible scenarios. What's the next one? There it is. Humility. When your flesh wants to get proud, or maybe selfish, Maybe maybe do a little bragging or a little patting yourself on the back or just making sure everyone sees what you do. You don't like doing things no one sees. Why? No one sees. What's your heart saying is the right thing to do. And God sees. Not to mention there was that passage where Jesus said that if man sees and gives you the pat on the back, then that's all you get. But if God's the only one that sees... He will reward. I have a feeling his rewards are better than someone patting you on the back saying, good job, you did that well. Anyway, what's the last one? Number nine, self-control. That's a good one. When you're tempted to just let yourself go. In any number of ways. He says, against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And I just want to point out that's harsh language. He did not say you slap your flesh on the wrist and say stop that. He used the word crucify. But there are times you take the desires of your flesh and you, as it were, you nail them to the cross, and you say, "Flesh, I am dead to that. We will not go there." And you can just let it go, and you get brutal. You get hard on your flesh. Paul has other passages. He talks about that. He says, I discipline my flesh. I keep it under. Study that word discipline out. It is a hard control. It's nothing casual. It's no slap on the wrist. Verse 25, he says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Um, Notice that the Spirit of God will lead us by His nature which is all the one side of things we looked at, love, joy, peace, those are all his nature. Um, the enemy will lead us by that other list, the nature of the flesh. And if we allow him to lead us, and, and again, I'm saying not in just these seemingly big decisions, it's that whole series of seemingly small, inconsequential daily decisions. And what I'm saying is it's not inconsequential. They add up, and it's a setup. So, I do have a, a spiritual biblical story to illustrate this point this morning. And there is a part of me that is not excited about this. Why? This is not a fun story. It is the Bible. We're going to go back to the book of Judges. This is a biblical account. But this is not a Sunday school story. I don't think they have ever taught this story to the kids in the class. This is a bloody story, a brutal story. It does not have a happy ending. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the ending. But I want you to see the steps that got them there. Are you with me? So fasten your seatbelt, which is okay, because I don't think anyone's going to shout and run around the room. So it's okay. Judges 19 verse 1. And it came to pass in those days when there was no king in Israel, that there was a certain Levite staying in the remote mountains of Ephraim. Uh, He took for himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. And I'll just point out, there are four times in the book of Judges where it says there was no king in Israel. In the timeline, we have the law, we've been through Moses, and we have the law, and we have the. The Torah, or what should be telling us right living. But we're just short of the first king, which was Saul. So that's where we're at in time. There was no king in Israel. Two of those four times, it then says right after that, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. How many of you figured out that's a dangerous place to be? Everyone's just doing what's right in their own eyes. Verse two, But his concubine played the harlot against him and went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah and was there four whole months. So he goes and gets himself a wife, but she's not faithful and eventually just leaves him, goes back home home to her daddy's house in Bethlehem. And he just kind of sits on this for a while. Four months have passed. Verse 3, Then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and bring her back, having his servant and a couple of donkeys with him. So after time had passed, at least four months, he decides, you know what? I'm going to have mercy on her. I want to give this another go. And I'm going to go ask her to come back. And we'll just... We'll forgive yesterday, and we'll focus on rebuilding and looking at tomorrow. Okay. So, a couple of donkeys with him. So, she brought him into her father's house. And when the father of the young woman saw him, he was glad to meet him. So he arrived at the father-in-law's house, got a warm welcome. They invite him in. And uh, verse 4, Now the father-in-law, the young woman's father, detained him and he stayed with him three days. So they ate and drank and lodged there. Now, in, I'm reading New King James. It says the father-in-law detained him. To amplify, it says insistently detained him. The English Standard Version just says uh, made him stay. So it, it was high pressure, forceful. Okay, but at this point now, he has a plan, and I am loosely connecting this with the verse I started. He's got a plan that he started with, and the idea is, I'm going to go find her, I'm going to forgive the past, and bring her home. So he finds her, he's warmly welcomed, you know, and even father-in-law, warmly welcomed, but now right off the bat, they're starting to deviate from the plan. We've now been there three, three days longer than he wanted to. Now, we could try to paint pictures. We could try to defend the father in law and say, well, he's just trying to enjoy time with the family or he's wanting to, you know, spend extra time. Maybe, but scripture doesn't say that. We would have to add to the story. What it tells us is three things. They ate, they drank, and they slept, I guess would be the third one. They lodged. So all scripture's telling us is they're making decisions catering to what? Flesh. We're just, instead of sticking to the plan, we're going to spend some extra time eating. There's food again, sorry. Uh, drinking and uh, laying around and not going home. Are you with me? Um, verse 5. Then it came to pass on the fourth day that they arose early in the morning and he stood to depart. All right, he's like, I'm already three days behind schedule. It is time to go home. All right, pack up the bags, get the donkeys loaded. We're going home. But the young woman's father said to his son-in-law, well, refresh your heart with a morsel of bread and afterward go your way. Kind of looks to me what he's saying is, well, you don't want to leave on an empty stomach. Let's eat breakfast first. And then once we have breakfast, then you can hop in the donkey and hit the highway. It'll be good. But keep in mind, there's no McDonald's. All right, now if we're going to have breakfast, we'll hold on a minute, you know, sit back down because we're going to have to go get some eggs out of the pen or the chicken coop. And then we're going to have to, I don't know if they have to go find the fatted pig. They don't eat pigs. So I don't know, maybe it wasn't bacon in their breakfast. But you know what I'm saying? is say, that we're going to have to make this breakfast. And we're going to have to put some... I kind of get the idea... By the time they got this breakfast in front of him, by the time they... Morning's about over. I think it turned into more of a brunch is kind of the picture I'm getting. So in verse 6, so they sat down and the two of them ate and drank together. And then the young woman's father said to the man, please be content. Stay all night. Let your heart be merry. And he continues to put pressure on him, saying what? Don't go. Just, you've already spent half the day. Just go ahead and stay. Verse 7, And the man stood to depart, and his father-in-law urged him, so he lodged there again. So, all we're seeing in this picture is, what's he doing? Eating, drinking, lounging, and deviating from the plan. I'll say this way, missing God. He's not being led by his heart. He is 100% being led by his flesh. It's an interesting little side thought. Um, On one hand, recognize not everyone in your life knows how to be led by the Holy Spirit. There are probably a lot of people in your life who have never even given thought to or have any interest in being led by the Spirit. And I'm not painting all of them in a dark picture. In some cases it might be people close to you, friends or family who love you but they're not trying to follow God. So likewise, they're really not encouraging you and aren't real concerned if you are or are not following the Spirit. And there will be situations, even seemingly innocent, where they put pressure on you to go a direction contrary to what your heart's telling you. And I'm not saying trying to get you to commit some big dark sin. There's nothing sinful about having breakfast and sitting around once in a while. It's not sinful unless it's causing you to go contrary to what your heart's telling you on the inside. And we have to recognize that. There are times you have to say to people you love, no, I can't do that right now. i got to go this way. I love you. Please don't take this the wrong way, but I've got to do this. And you've got to be strong enough to do that. In this case, he was not strong enough to do that. He would not, for whatever reason, would not stand up to his father-in-law. And it's costing him. Um, so bottom line, do not allow people to cause you to ignore your own heart. It will not end well for you. Number one, it's going to cause you to begin to harden your heart. Anytime you know the Lord is leading you in one direction and you choose not to, you begin hardening your heart. And I won't repreach preach that. We've talked about that. You don't want to go down that path. Number two, it's going to start taking you down a different path than the one God's trying to lead you on. And one point I'm trying to make this morning is you want to stay on God's path. It will bode well for you. And there are consequences when we get off. So, on one hand, I'm really not trying to paint the father-in-law in too dark of a picture, although I will say this. In Scripture, in this story, symbolically, He is symbolic of flesh. He is the picture of desires of our flesh pulling us away from what God's trying to lead us to do. So, sorry, Dad, (laughs) in-law. But that's what's going on here. So, verse 8. Then he arose early in the morning on the fifth day to depart. But the young woman's father said, Please, refresh your heart. So they delayed until afternoon. And both of them ate. Mm. Is there danger in procrastination? (laughs) That's a loaded question. That's a loaded question. The attitude of, well, we'll get there eventually. It's all good. It'll all work out. Yeah, one of these days. Whatever. Does your Heavenly Father operate with that kind of a laissez-faire attitude? He does not. Um, I did not put this on the screen. I'm just going to quote Ecclesiastes 3.1. To everything, there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. That's how God operates. He sees the big picture that we often don't. He knows how everything is lining up. Your Heavenly Father is... Methodical isn't the right word. He's very strategic very calculated in what he does. There are reasons he asks you to do what he asks you to do. And he sees all of them. And he's not doing anything, can I say this, by the seat of his pants. Just kind of going with it. That's not his nature. What what'd he say? To everything there is a season. Another side of this Now, I I did mention early in the series, there are times when, when you have not yet received clear direction and you're trying to figure out which way he's leading you, that's when it is time to wait on the Lord. But then on the flip side, once you get direction and you know where he's leading you, now it's time to follow. You can get in a situation where you know the direction to go, but you take too long to obey and that season can come to a close. And you missed it, not because you did wrong, but you didn't obey when he was told you to. It's kind of like there is a door of opportunity that he told you to go through, but if you take too long, the door will close, the season will pass, and things have moved on. So we kind of need to know where we're at. If we don't have direction, get it. But once you've got it, now it's time to move. Are you, are you following me? It's time to obey. Verse 8, I've already read this once, I'm going to read it again. So he arose early in the morning of the fifth day to depart. But the young woman's father said, Please refresh your heart. So they delayed until afternoon, and both of them ate. And when the man stood to depart, he and his concubine and his servant, his father-in-law, the young woman's father, said to him, Look, the day is now drawing toward evening. Please spend the night. See the days coming to an end. Lodge here that your heart may be merry. Tomorrow go your way early so that you may get home. Verse 10. However, the man was not willing to spend the night. Finally, he found a backbone. So he arose and departed and came opposite Jebus, that is Jerusalem. And with him were the two saddled donkeys, his concubine also with him. So he's now five days behind schedule. He should have been home four days ago. I kind of get the impression it was a one-day journey. But now, because he didn't leave like he intended to in the morning, he didn't leave till after lunch, he didn't get home in a day's journey. Keep in mind, back in that day, they had Cadillacs. They are riding in donkeys. A lot of people were on foot. So there's only so far you can get in a day. And in this case... He only made it to Jerusalem. He didn't make it all the way back home. Likewise, in that time, they did not have a Motel 6 on every corner. And so he did what was common in that day. He rolled into the nearest city and went to the city square and just plopped down. And the custom in that day was, if you're in your hometown and you see somebody parked in the city square, you go check on them. Hey, do you need somewhere to sleep tonight? Come stay at my house. All right. So... Now, because he has delayed, he's making an unexpected stop in a city he never should have been in. This was never part of the plan. But, he's feeling pressure, and he's frustrated. And in that place, he's making poor decisions. I'm gonna begin to speed the story up a little, a little bit, because it, it gets interesting. Verse 22 as they were enjoying themselves nope, nope, back up I skipped a verse verse 10 no, am I skipping verses in my own notes Okay, I didn't put the verses in there I thought I put the verses on the screen that's exactly what happened he ends up in the city square a guy sees him and says hey, hey you need somewhere to stay? Come to my house. Invites them into his house. Shuts the door. He's giving them food. He's taking care of the donkeys. They're going to spend the night at his house. Okay, now go to verse 22. As they were enjoying themselves in this man's house in Jerusalem, suddenly certain men of the city, perverted men, surrounded the house and beat on the door. And they spoke to the master of the house, the old man, saying, Bring out the man who came to your house, that we may know him carnally. Now, I'm hoping everyone knows what's going on. I don't want to explain this. It reminds me, do you remember a time when Abraham's nephew Lot was living in Sodom? and when the two angels showed up and lot invites the angels into his house and that evening the men of sodom start banging on lot's door saying send those two men out that we may know them carnally and you remember what lot did again this is this is not sunday school material lot said men please don't do that they're my guests they're under my charge which they were and he says don't do this evil thing that you have in your heart. But then, and I can't explain this, I certainly don't condone this, I don't know what was going on, but Lot says, tell you what, I got a couple of daughters, have your way with them. Do you remember that? Now I think that one might have ended better, I don't remember. Same thing happens on this night. The guy says, don't be so carnal. Please don't do this thing. Listen, um, we have a couple women. We'll send them out. I kind of want to think that my modern Western mind just must be different than an ancient Eastern mind. But I'm not sure. Because in both cases, in Lot's time and in this one, ultimately what they're trying to do was condone. It was not condoned. It was judged. Bad things happened. Remember how Sodom and Gomorrah ended? Alright, bad things happened. So I really, I don't have an answer why lot or this man would think hey here's a better choice um they all kind of looked like bad choices to me so i'm not trying to say hey here's the better option i i i don't have i've never heard a good scholar give commentary on this that gave a good answer as to why lot would do that or why this man did that i don't know but he did so that concubine gets thrown outside the house and uh We'll go to verse 25. The men would not heed him. So the man took his concubine and brought her out to them, and they knew her and abused her all night until morning. And when the day began to break, they let her go. She crawled back up to the doorstep of the house. The door was shut. She collapses on the threshold of the house and she dies. And when that man comes out the next morning to find his concubine, that he came all the way to Jerusalem, or all the way to Bethlehem, to go get now she's laying dead on the doorstep I will not go into all the details of what he did next if you're interested go read it on your own time I will just say what he did next he got his story to the attention of all of Israel he was national news and everyone heard what happened in this little town that night and it caused a national outrage to the point the 11 other tribes all sent message to the tribe of Benjamin that said all right you round up the men that did this this night and you produce them they're all gonna die What judgment and rightfully so for reasons I don't know the tribe of Benjamin all kind of huddled together and said we're not doing it we're gonna protect our men our brothers and wouldn't surrender them. So the other 11 tribes said, Fine. Get out your guns. Okay, they didn't have guns. Use your swords. And it turned into a little small civil war. By the end of this account, 25,000 Benjamin men, Benjamite men, men from the tribe of Benjamin, Died. In that little mini civil war over what we just read in this story. The end. No one lived happily ever after. It's a horrible story. Are are you following me? So what's happening? This is a picture of a guy who made seemingly small, inconsequential decisions catering to flesh. He knew the plan was hit the road in the morning, let's get home. But he decides for five days, now let's just eat, this is good food. Let's lounge around and do nothing. And then out of frustration, leaves in the middle of the day, knowing I won't make it home. If he would have stuck with the plan he had in the beginning, he would not have spent the night in Jerusalem. That little event never would have happened. He would have hopefully had a successful second marriage with this woman, they would have lived happily ever after, had many kids, I don't know, but they wouldn't have had that incident on the doorstep. 25,000 men would not have died if he'd have stuck with plan A. One other possibility, what if his wife had never been unfaithful? None of this account would have ever happened. But are you seeing something tragic and horrible happened just out of seemingly small inconsequential decisions made in the moment and it added up to something horrible we have an enemy who wants to change the course of our life take us into situations and down paths that we were never intended to go down But he's not often doing it with the big things. It's the little things. The lust of the flesh. The indulgence of the flesh. Procrastination and laziness. Anger and impatience. All just things of the flesh. If we will be faithful to follow our heart and to say no to these desires of the flesh. And as John said, stick with what you heard from the beginning. Don't deviate from what God's already put on your heart. Follow the plan. Uh, Galatians 5, verse 16, he says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Just walk with what you know. Walk with what's in your heart, and don't fulfill those lusts of the flesh. Do you realize there are situations in your life Where to follow your heart and to be a spiritual leader in your household and in your world. What it looks like is simply shut your mouth. Don't say what your flesh wants to say. There are times the most spiritual thing you can do is just turn around and walk away from the situation and go home. One step further, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is just go home and go to bed. I'm thinking of many situations, maybe the smartest thing you can do is just shut the TV off, shut everything off, and just go to bed. Get some sleep. Start rested the next day. But sometimes that's just exactly it. You just shut it off, walk away, go home, and you have just been a spiritual person. You followed your heart. And you did the right thing. It is so important for us to be led by the Spirit. It is so important for us to trust your conscience. Trust the Spirit on the inside of you. He is leading you somewhere. And all these little things that don't seem to matter, they all add up. They're all taking you somewhere. I'll close this morning with the verse I already read, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Trust him, not just in the big things, but every day, all through the day, in all the little things. Be faithful to follow your heart. Amen. Amen.